So let's pray. Let's ask God to speak to us through his word, and then we'll dig in. This has been a very encouraging morning so far, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your presence here and all the ways you've spoken and encouraged and and met us. And would you open up your word to us now? Lord, I I need your help big big time. Uh, Touch my heart, my mind, tell me to be clear. Tell me not to say anything that wouldn't, wouldn't be in accord with your word. Give us all ears to hear what you're saying in your word. And Lord, through this series on prayer, would you take us deeper in prayer? That's our longing, Lord, as a church. You take us deeper in, in meeting you in prayer. So use this morning to do that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. I thought of just starting off this morning. Um, think about this. If you're a follower of Jesus... If you're trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior and your treasure, then you're going to have times in your life where you've got a, a longing and a desire that you lift up to him in earnest prayer, you ask him to do something, and many times you will see him doing exactly what you've asked him to do. It's powerful. I mean, I, I just try to think of some examples. I thought of Mike Lemoyne, okay, a couple years back, looking for work. And uh, they were praying, he was praying, we were praying, home group was praying, and then God worked in a powerful way to give him a contract job at Apple, which became a permanent job. Okay, fantastic answer to prayer. And then uh, many of you have been praying, I mean, over the Christmas season, we were praying for Raj and Scout. By the way, they're safe. You've read about the riots recently, they're doing fine. It's been very uh, scary for them, Uh, but thanks for prayers for your prayers, but last Christmas season we were praying that they would be able to get a business visa for where they live in Central Asia. They are there to bring the good news of Jesus to an unreached Muslim people group. And we were praying earnestly, they were praying earnestly, and through all kinds of you know turns in the road and, and disappointments and moving ahead and moving back, finally God totally blessed and they got the, the, the business visa that they needed, and so they're there. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you will experience many times when you have a longing and a desire for something that you lift up to the Lord in prayer, and then he does it. It's just, it's awesome when that happens. At the same time, as a follower of Jesus, you'll have times where you have an earnest longing and desire, which you lift up to the Lord in earnest prayer, just as earnest, just as full of faith, biblically valid desire, and yet the Lord doesn't do it. At least not yet. I know a lot of you are praying for employment, lifting that up to the Lord in prayer, and the Lord hasn't done it yet. And others of you are praying for more hours at work, or you're praying for more business at your place of employment, and maybe that hasn't happened yet, or not to the extent that you were hoping that it would happen. Um, Others of you are praying for healing for certain ailments, or for pregnancy, or you're praying for uh, a wayward child maybe to come back to the Lord or for a spouse to, to meet Jesus. Valid concerns, all of these biblical concerns, lifting them up to the Lord in prayer, and yet the Lord hasn't, hasn't done them yet. So, what do you do? I mean, that, that's a hard thing. When you have a longing and a desire that you lift up to the Lord Jesus in prayer, and he, he doesn't do it, at least not yet, because the longing is still there. The desire is still there. And so, 
the difficulty of that and how hard that is. I mean, it can make you become bitter, right? It can make you start to doubt that God loves you. It can, it can make you discouraged. So the question I want to focus on this morning is, what should we do at those times? What should you do? What should I do? When we've got longings and desires that are biblical, valid, right longings and desires that we've lifted up to the Lord Jesus in earnest, persevering, full of faith prayer, and yet he hasn't answered them yet. What should we do? Let's turn to Psalm 25. I believe the answer is found there. I'd like you all to have a Bible to look at, so if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. It's really important that you have this passage open in front of you. We like to teach the Bible. So you walk away thinking about what the Bible said, not not what I or somebody else said. So what does God say in his word? Psalm 25 is on page 459 in the Bibles that we're passing out. So just go ahead and turn there. 459 in the ones we just passed out. Psalm 25. This psalm, I love this psalm. I was just trying to think yesterday. There's, I don't think this is an exaggeration. There's probably been hundreds of times in the last 40 years I've known Jesus when I've turned to this psalm and prayed it. Remember one time when there was a, at the very beginning of this church, there was like five people in the church and one of the high school guys, dads, had met the Lord and, and uh, we, were, we, were, we were just a home group and well, we had lunch one day, and he said, Steve, I don't think I'm called to be part of your church. I need something that meets on Sundays, a little more traditional. And, and I said, oh, Lord bless you. I was just so happy that he'd met the Lord. I, I came home, sat down at my desk. I'll never forget opening up Psalm 25. So it's just such a powerful, powerful psalm to pray through. Well, let's get the background. What, what situation is David facing as he prays this prayer in Psalm 25? couple hints in the text. First of all, look at the end of verse 2. David says, let not my enemies exult over me. So part of the problem is David's got enemies. Another hint, end of verse 15. I'll read the whole verse. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he, the Lord, will pluck my feet out of the net. So David's got some enemies who are trying to trap him in some kind of a metaphorical net of some sort. One more hint, uh, verse 19. Consider how many are my foes, and with what violent hatred they hate me. So are you feeling the circumstances David's facing? He has many enemies, foes, who have violent hatred towards him, and in some such way they're seeking to, to trap him. So that's what he's facing. And David, from this psalm, you can see he's been asking God, he's been lifting up to God his desire to be delivered from these enemies. Valid concern, biblical concern. And David has prayed earnestly and persistently and perseveringly, deliver me from the enemies. But God has not yet answered his prayer. So there David is longing to be delivered, and God hasn't yet done what David is longing to have done. So David is right where a lot of us are at. I would guess if you've followed Jesus for any period of time at all, you've had desires in you that you've brought to the Lord in prayer, and he hasn't answered, at least not yet. And so there you are with this longing in your heart, and yet Jesus hasn't answered yet. 
That's where David's at. So what does David do? How does he respond to that circumstance? Well, he does what he calls waiting for the Lord. Okay? Three times he mentions that in this psalm. Verse 3, he says, Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. He says it also in verse 5, the last line of verse 5. For you I wait all the day long. That's what he's doing right in this psalm. He's waiting for the Lord. For you I wait all the day long. And he mentions it one other place, end of verse 21. For I wait for you. So when David has a longing, a desire that he has lifted up to the Lord in prayer. He's asked Jesus, please do this. And and the Lord hasn't done it yet. And he's left with that longing that the Lord hasn't met. What David does is he waits for the Lord. Okay, now before we dig into what that means, let's just pull back and, and try to get in touch with what do you do? at those times when you have a longing that you've lifted up before the Lord and asked him to answer this, deliver me, do this for me, please, and he hasn't done it, at least not yet. What do you do? This has been really helpful for me to think about this this week because I do not do what David does enough. And I just thought, so what do I usually do? Uh, Well, I get discouraged. That's one thing I do. I, I, I do that pretty well. Um... I start to doubt. I don't usually doubt that God loves you or that he's good to other people, but I start to think that he doesn't love me or that he's not being good to me. Um, sometimes I just want to escape. You know, let's just run a video or I'll just, you know, lose myself in a book or go for a mountain bike ride or something. Okay? Those are the kind of things I do. Sometimes I also let my heart kind of get a little bit hard towards the Lord and just pull back a little bit in my earnest pursuit of him. Right? What do you do when you have these earnest longings for the Lord to do something that are just strong there and he hasn't done it, at least not yet? Honestly, what what do you do? Maybe your flavor is to call up somebody and just kind of complain, you know, or or maybe you know you go to Safeway and it's dryers, triple chocolate decadence is, is how you how you deal with that kind of situation. We all have different things that we do. Okay, but what David does is he waits for the Lord. Now, what does that mean? And I, I want to really help you understand this. So I thought I'd give you a visual. So I need, I need some help here, okay? I need three volunteers to come and sit in these three chairs here. And I will not embarrass you or make you do anything that you'll regret. But I need three volunteers real quick. One, two, and three. Come on up. Just three. Okay, we got some thank you, thank you. There we go. Okay. Good job. So just, you can take that present if you want to, and you can just take the Bible. That's good. Okay, now, they're going to illustrate this. Uh, A lot of people, when they hear the concept of waiting for the Lord, they they take the English word wait, which usually just means something like, like if you're waiting for a taxi, you're doing nothing, right? You're just sitting there, passing the time. That's what Dave Clark was talking about earlier this morning. A lot of people think that waiting for the Lord just kind of means twiddling your thumbs. So that's going to be you, Chris. So just like, like... Kick back in your chair, stretch your feet out, maybe tap your foot, and maybe do your fingers on your knee like this, okay? All right, that's good. Okay, so a lot of people think that that's waiting, waiting for the Lord. You're just biding your time, okay? All right? That's not what waiting for the... Keep going. Okay, that's good. But, all right. 
I'm impressed. Okay. The Hebrew word for weight here, it's the, it's the word kava, and it doesn't mean passively biding your time. What it means is to seek after something with eager anticipation. You're seeking something, okay? So it's not just passively biding your time like you're waiting for a taxi to come, but you're seeking for something with earnest anticipation. Now, sometimes we hear that, but what we then think waiting for the Lord means wrongly is that it's seeking for what I want, okay? So that's going to be John Ferris, so... John's going to jot that note down, though. Okay, we're, okay so what, what I want you to do is put your Bible down, okay, and pick up the present and lean forward and hold this in front of you, and you're seeking that. So this is what John was asking the Lord to do. Like, maybe give me this job or heal me of this problem. And so you're leaning forward. A little more earnestness, though, okay? A little more passion. So right, it's, it's, you're seeking for what you want God to give you, Right? Okay, what's the problem with that? If, if, if you're waiting for the Lord is focused on what you want God to do, what's the problem with that? Well, it may be selfish. It may not be. It, it, but God may not do that. Right? God doesn't always answer our prayers exactly the way we ask them. I mean, what we've taught here for a long time is that he always does either exactly what you ask him to do or something even better which he wouldn't have done otherwise. Okay, so keep going, though. Keep seeking, okay? Don't shake it, though. Who knows? But just so you, okay? So, this is not waiting for the Lord. This is waiting for what I want from the Lord. And that's a big difference, okay? Um, and the problem with doing that is that you can be disappointed. How many of you have been disappointed seeking hard after what you wanted God to give you, and then when he doesn't give it to you, you're left disappointed? Okay, like n- numerous times for me. Okay, but now John's got it right in that he's, he's leaning forward. He's not doing what Chris is doing. He's not yawning. He's not doing his fingers. He's not tapping his toes, okay? He's leaning forward. He's seeking after something. But what he's not doing right is that he's seeking after what he wants. So what waiting for the Lord is, is lean forward, just like John is, okay? Hold the, open the Bible in front of you. It means waiting for God to do what he's promised to do. So you're seeking, you're anticipating, God's going to do something, and what he's going to do is what he's promised here. So you're on the edge of your seat, okay, okay, you're, you're anticipating him to come and do what he himself has promised to do. Okay, now just a little quiz time. Okay, what is, these people all think they're waiting for the Lord, okay? Here's someone who's just like biding his time, okay, passively sitting back, is this waiting for the Lord? Okay, sorry Chris, you got to go down. Okay, sorry. Okay? This person thinks he's waiting for the Lord. He's, he understands it's not just passively biding your time. It's earnestly seeking and anticipating something, but what he's earnestly seeking and anticipating is what he wants God to do. Is that waiting for the Lord? Uh, sorry, John. The winner... You can take your present, though, or whatever. Okay? So here she's earnestly seeking. She's anticipating. She knows God's going to do something really, really good. He's going to break in and do something, and what he's going to do is what he's promised to do in his word. Not necessarily specifically what I'm asking him to do, but what he's promised to do because his ways are higher, his ways are better. He's, you know, he knows much better what I need and, and what will really satisfy me, so I'm anticipating that he's going to do what he's promised. So are you being earnest? Yes. Okay, so this is waiting for the Lord. Let's get it up for Debbie Walker. Good job, Debbie. Thank you. Now i got to really do it. 
Well, we all got to do it. That's right. Okay, so that's what it means to wait on the Lord. And let me just throw this out. How can you tell if what you're doing is just the passive waiting? How can you tell if that's what you're doing? What are some of the symptoms? You're annoyed. Ouch. Okay, I didn't think of that one. Okay, what else? How can you tell if you're just passively waiting? I think you're probably not praying. You're impatient. Okay, you're just like waiting. How can you tell if you're earnestly seeking what you want? What are the symptoms? Anxious. What else? Pardon? Your heart is focused on what you're asking for. Your interest is in what you want, okay? It's not the promises of God, it's the desires of Steve, or you, or, okay? And the way you can tell this is what you're doing is that your heart is set on the promises. And you're, you're anticipating the Lord doing something powerful for you in accord with what he's promised. You're still asking, in this case, are you still asking for what you want? Yes, Keep asking for what you long for and desire, but you're also understanding that the Lord may do something even better as he's promised. And so your heart is set on his promises. Okay, that's what it means to wait for the Lord. Is that that helpful? I hope so. Okay, now, how do we do this? Well, I just went through this psalm and I noticed kind of six aspects that are involved in waiting for the Lord. I'm not sure that the order is necessarily important, But each of them are a crucial part of what you do. And again, what we're doing in this series is going through different aspects of prayers are described in the Psalms. And I would guess all of you would have, you know, if I would have said, what are some aspects of prayer? You'd have said asking, and you'd have said thanking, and you'd have said confessing. But how many of you would have said waiting? Waiting for the Lord as an aspect of prayer. I'm not sure as many of you would have said that. And I've just realized this week, it's vital. And this week I've been, I've got a couple of requests that I've held up before the Lord for a while that he has not done, at least not yet. And it's been very good for me this week. It's been good for my heart just to, okay, let's let's do this. And I'm, I'm really hoping that you, I would guess all of you have something in your heart that's a bit of a disappointment. And there's a gap between what you long for and what the Lord has done. And I'm just praying and hoping that this week you can experience what David's experiencing here and wait for the Lord and and, and have him meet you. So here's six aspects of waiting for the Lord. The first one is, tell the Lord you trust him. Verses one through three. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God. In you, I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be put, they shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Can you notice in verse one, waiting for the Lord means lifting up your soul to the Lord in Prayer. So waiting for the Lord is something you do in conscious communication with Jesus. It's not something that you just kind of do in your own head passively. It, it involves prayer. Waiting for the Lord means talking to the Lord. If you're just like, well, I'm just waiting. It's, maybe it's good that you're waiting, but you're not waiting for the Lord unless you're talking to the Lord. Okay? 
And what you need to say to him, probably the most important thing is what David says right there in verse 2. Oh my God, in you I trust. Now, do you ever talk, to, talk like that when you pray? When was the last time that in prayer you've said, Father, I trust you. Jesus, I'm trusting you. I just have this suspicion that I'm not sure a lot of us pray that way. I'm not sure why, but it's vital that we pray that way. There's a huge difference between just in your own head thinking, well, I'm I'm trusting Jesus and telling Jesus you trust Jesus. Huge difference. Just like there's a huge difference if in my mind I'm thinking, I love Jan, and if Jan's in front of me, I say, I love you. Just a really big difference. Can you feel it? It's a big old difference. And so for you to say in your, in your own mind, I'm trusting the Lord, I'm trusting the Lord. I think a lot of us, we just kind of do it that way. We're just, it's in our own heads. That's far less than what you will experience when you lift your soul up to the Lord Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you for this unfulfilled desire that I have now. I'm, I'm going to trust you. Now that may not be very easy to pray. Truth be known. And so you can ask him to help you. Remember the prayer in Mark 9, I think it is? The man with the demonized son. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Say, Jesus, help me to trust you. I want to trust you. Help me to trust you. And so what you want to do when you're praying and saying, I trust you, is you want to surrender to him your ideas of what you think should happen. That's a vital part of waiting for the Lord. Is where you take your agenda your desires, what you think should happen, and you say, I trust you. And whatever you think is best, you are good, you are sovereign, you are wise, you love me, I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to rely on my own ideas, I'm not going to lean on my own understanding, I'm going to trust you. That is a crucial part of waiting on the Lord. You will not be able to wait on the Lord in the way David does here if you can't surrender your own desires and ideas to Jesus. And then right there in verse 3, David mentions a promise that he's holding before him. None who wait for you shall be put to shame. So trust that promise. Let that encourage you to spend time waiting for the Lord. As you wait on the Lord, as you lean on the Lord, as you rely on the Lord, as you are trusting in the Lord, you will never be put to shame if you're waiting on the Lord. Now that's huge. Okay, so... One aspect, mingle this in with your times of waiting for the Lord, is to tell the Lord you trust him. Okay, secondly, ask God to teach and lead you. Look at verses 4 and 5. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Okay, so when you're waiting for the Lord, it's because there's some desire that you've had, you've lifted it up to the Lord in prayer, and he has not yet done it. And and when you're in that position, there's lots that we can be taught by the Lord. And that's why David prays, teach me. So maybe maybe it'd be an opportunity for the Lord to teach me how to be satisfied in him alone alone without the other thing that I'm asking for. 
That would be a beautiful thing to be taught, where the Lord could so reveal himself to you as you're praying Psalm 25 that you are satisfied without what you're asking for. Maybe that's what the Lord might teach us. Or maybe we simply need to be taught about patience and trusting his timing. Right? Um, Maybe we need to be taught about an area of sin, an area of disobedience in our lives that's, that's in the way of, of him answering that specific prayer. That's not always the case. Some people kind of teach that if your prayers aren't answered, it's always because you're being disobedient in some way. That's not what the Bible teaches. But sometimes it is the case. Now here's the thing. If you will sincerely from the heart pray verses 4 and 5, I mean not in some kind of a religious superstitious way, you don't need the exact same words, but the idea of Lord teach me what I need to know. Make me know your ways. Lead me in your paths. If that's what you're asking from the heart, I promise you, based on the scriptures, he will teach you, lead you, guide you with whatever he wants you to know during the season. He will give you everything you need to navigate this season as you ask him. Third, plead God's mercy for your sin. Verses 6 and 7. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Another crucial part of waiting for the Lord is remembering our sin and pleading for God's mercy based on Jesus' death on the cross. You've sinned and I've sinned. My sin has made a wall between me and God so God can't bring me any of his favor because of my sin. But Jesus was punished in my place so when I repent of my sin and trust Jesus, the wall comes tumbling down and God can just lavish me with his love and his forgiveness and his grace. And as I thought about this, I think there's at least two reasons why, especially during those times when we're waiting on the Lord, during those times when we have some kind of a desire, a longing, a disappointment, something God hasn't done, there's at least two reasons why this is especially important to do. One is, this is how I experience it, sometimes when when God hasn't done something that I've been hoping for and have been asking for, I can start to uh, get a little bugged thinking about you know, what I think God owes me, Anybody else go there? What God owes me? But it, it's really helpful to, when I remember my sin, and then I remember if, if, if God gives me what he owes me, I'm in big trouble. So it's, it's very humbling and helpful to think, Steve, what God owes you is eternal hell. So be humbled. Oh God, remember me according to your mercy. Please don't remember the sins of my youth. For the sake of Jesus, his death on the cross, remember me according to your steadfast love. It's just humbling. Another reason is because when God hasn't answered a prayer that I've lifted up to the Lord for a while, I can start to doubt that God loves me. And I'm sure you, you struggle with the same thing. I mean, how many, how many start to think God isn't being good to me, he doesn't really care about me, he doesn't really love me? Isn't that common? But if you will stop and think about the fact that, and picture it like this, here's me, and I deserve God's punishment for my rebellion against him. 
But what God did was he sent his only begotten son, Jesus. Perfect, blameless, righteous, holy. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, is what God says. And the father looks at me and he looks at Jesus and justice has to be done. This sin has to be punished. And what did the father do? He took my son and he crushed Jesus with it. Punished his own son for my sin because he loves me. Now, for the father to do that, to crush his son whom he loves instead of me so that I could be forgiven and could know him forever, how can I doubt that he loves me? See, the cross is the most blazing display of God's love. And it's easy to start to doubt God's love when there's a prayer I've been praying that God hasn't answered. But just like sit back and get the big picture, folks. Right? Look at what he's done in punishing his son so that you could be forgiven. Because he loves you. And help that to strengthen your confidence that he loves you. So plead God's mercy for your sin and let it humble you so you're not talking about what God owes you and so that you are swept up in how much God loves you that he would do that for you through Christ. Fourth aspect. Rest in God's precious promises. Verses 8 through 10. He says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. That's a restatement of what he's asked in verses 4 and 5 already. Teach me, instruct me, lead me. But then look at verse 10. Look at this promise. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for who? Those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Now this is an amazing promise in verse 10. Okay, first of all, notice who it's for, those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. What that means is if you're trusting God in the person of Jesus, trusting Jesus as your savior, your Lord, your heart satisfying treasure, you're not perfect, but you're trusting him. Okay, you know you're not perfect because of what David throws in there in verse 11. Pardon my guilt for it is great. I'm not perfectly keeping your covenant and testimonies, but I'm trusting We trust Jesus. David was trusting God's mercy. He lived before Christ. We live after Christ. It's more clear to us. So for us, we're trusting Jesus. If you're trusting Jesus, then you are keeping his covenant and his testimonies. And so then what that means is all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. All your paths, every path you find yourself walking on is steadfast love and faithfulness. It's not that the path will become steadfast love and faithfulness once you're healed. Every day you're not healed, and even if you're never healed until the resurrection, that path of not being healed is a path of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. It's dripping with God's steadfast love and faithfulness. It's full of God's love and goodness for you. He is rejoicing over you to do you good even before the thing you've asked for is being done. Every day you don't have a job is a day where in God's steadfast love and faithfulness, he's rejoicing over you to do you good, to meet you, to satisfy you, to guide you, to provide for you. It's not that God will be good once I get the job. He's being good to you today. Every path you find yourself on, if you look around, it's this is full of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. If you're trusting Jesus, you will never look down and find yourself in any other path than the path of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. But we need to see that 
when we've had a longing and a request that we've been asking God to do and he hasn't done it yet. Because we can start to think, I'm not experiencing God's steadfast love and faithfulness until God does this for me. Fifth aspect, let God's promises strengthen your trust in him. Verses 12 through 15. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. Old Testament promise about the land doesn't apply to us today, but the rest of them all do. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenants. Okay, twice here David mentions fearing the Lord. Fearing the Lord simply means fearing what God will do if I turn from him. That's fearing the Lord. Fearing what God will do if I turn from him. So if I'm fearing the Lord, will I turn from God? Will I cringe and run away from him because I'm afraid of him? No, because fearing the Lord means fearing what will happen if I turn from him. So those who fear the Lord move to God. Trust his love. Receive his mercy. Seek his face. And look at what happens if that's what you're doing. You're fearing the Lord. You're trusting him. You're, you're moving towards Jesus. He will instruct. Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. He will guide you to make all the decisions you need to make in this time, in this season of life that you're in. Verse 13, promise, his soul shall abide in well-being. He will so satisfy your heart with his presence that your soul will abide in well-being even before the request that you're bringing up before the Lord is answered. And even if it's never answered, Your soul will abide in well-being. Verse 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. You may not be healed. You may not get that exact job that you want, but you've got the friendship of the Lord. This is an amazing statement. The intimacy, the closeness, the, the personal heart connection with the Lord is for you. You will know God in the person of Jesus. And he makes known to them his covenants. He will let you experience covenant relationship with him. All of his covenant promises true for you. So as David thinks about all these promises in verses 12 through 14, he's, he's thinking about God's promises. He's going to guide me. My soul is going to abide in well-being. Friendship with the Lord I can experience. He'll make known to me his covenant. There's just like a, a welling up of trust and confidence in the Lord, a welling up of that in his heart. And so he says in verse 15, my eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the nets. This is what will happen as you spend time waiting on the Lord in the word with his promises. You'll be praying, I trust you, Lord. Look at your promises. I'm trusting you. You'll, you'll see his promises and you'll, you'll have such a sense of all that God is doing for you that there will become welling up in your heart. I'm going to trust you forever. That's what happens to David here. My eyes are ever toward the Lord. He will pluck me out of the net. He will deliver me. Deliverance is coming. And then the last aspect, sixth. Admit your need to God and ask him for help. Now, look at how brutally honest David is here about how he's feeling. Turn to me. Be gracious to me. For I'm lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. 
Oh, guard my soul, deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all of his troubles. So two things I see in those verses. One is David is absolutely honest with the Lord about what he's feeling in his heart. I'm lonely. I'm afflicted. The troubles of my heart are greatly enlarged. I'm in pain. God, I'm hurting. I'm sad. I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. Help me. Are you honest with the Lord about how you're really feeling about things? It's so important that you be honest. And that you don't try to maintain some kind of a pious, everything's fine, I'm trusting you, I'm trusting you, everything's fine, Lord. If you're not, you're not. And he knows you're not. So tell him, I'm in pain, I'm hurting, I'm lonely, I'm afflicted. But he doesn't stop there. He asks God to help him. Look at these requests. Verse 16, turn to me, Father. Be gracious to me. Bring me out of my distresses. End of verse 17. Consider my affliction and my trouble. Verse 18. Think about what I'm going through, Father. Forgive my sins. Consider my foes. Look at the problems I'm facing. Verse 19. Verse 20. Guard my soul from sin. I think is what he's praying there. Deliver me. Let me not be put to shame. I'm I'm taking refuge in you. You promised I wouldn't be put to shame if I was waiting for you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me. Keep me walking in integrity. Keep me walking in uprightness. Don't let me slip into sin during this hard season. And redeem Israel out of all of his troubles. So, see, you keep praying for the longings of your heart. You don't stop praying for them. You keep praying for them. That's part of waiting for the Lord. Admit your need to God and ask him for help. So those are six aspects that are involved in, in waiting for the Lord. Now, here's my encouragement to you. I would guess that there's many of you where over the last weeks, over the last years, decades maybe in some cases, there's been needs and longings that you've earnestly prayed for. And you have not received an answer yet. And you have not waited for the Lord. You've not taken those requests and held them up before the Lord and waited for the Lord in regard to those requests, knowing that he's either going to do what you're requesting or something better. And just saying, I trust you. I surrender my desires to you. I surrender my wisdom to you. You know what's best. I surrender to you. Help me, strengthen me, satisfy me, meet me, deliver me. And you haven't done that. You haven't done that. You haven't waited for the Lord. And instead you've maybe grown a little distance to the Lord. You'd still, you know, get 100% on a true-false doctrine test, okay? But your heart isn't passionately loving and trusting Jesus because you're, you're a little disappointed. That's some of you. You have no reason to be disappointed. You have no reason Jan and I struggled with infertility for maybe 10 years, first years of our marriage. She had four surgeries and praying for pregnancy. We got pregnant once for two weeks, then she miscarried. Um, and then, then the last surgery was a hysterectomy, and we adopted Anna, and we adopted Brad. We never have any reason to be disappointed with what the Lord does. 
ever any reason. Now, I'm sympathetic, though. I, I was not free from disappointment during those years. But I didn't have any reason to be disappointed. The paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. Every day of that infertility was marked by good things he wanted to do for us in and through that experience, which he did. We experienced a lot of that. But some of you are disappointed in the Lord, and you've grown a little just distant from him. You're not denying him. You're not moving in any big, serious, outward, obvious sin, but your heart, your heart has pulled back from him. And I want to urge you, wait for the Lord. Bring that disappointment to him and deal with him concerning it. Wrestle with him concerning it. He will meet you. Your soul will dwell in, pros- in, in prosperity. I forget exactly how it goes. You, no, your soul will abide in well-being. He will comfort you. He will satisfy you. He will meet you. So some of you have long-term pain and disappointment with something that the Lord has done or not done. Bring it before him today, this week. Offer it up to him. And in all of us, the moment a disappointment arises, let's get into the rhythm and the pattern of waiting for the Lord. Bringing it to him. Not moving from him not distancing ourselves from him, but bringing it to him. Oh my God, in you I trust. I don't know what you're doing. This is disappointing. This is hard, but I trust you. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. Pray that, wrestle with that. Let's be a church that waits for the Lord and that helps each other wait for the Lord when we face disappointment and unanswered prayer. Let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. You are the great physician. And there's hearts here that have long-term infection of disappointment and uh, hurt and distancing themselves from you because of unanswered prayer. And I pray, Lord, that right now you would start a healing work. You are the great physician, that you would go to work in each of our hearts and that we could wait for the Lord this week, come to you earnestly anticipating how you will fulfill your promises to us Maybe not exactly what we're asking for, but if not, that's something even better. Come and do that, Lord, I pray. Oh, Lord, I long that people here whose hearts have just been a little bit distanced from you, who, who haven't sensed, felt your love, your nearness, who haven't experienced friendship with God, where they have a first-hand experience with you, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd meet them. I pray that you'd help them. Set us free from unbelief. Set us free from pride. Set us free from thinking our ways are higher than your ways. We believe. Help our unbelief, Lord. 
So I pray that you would meet us as we wait for you and that you teach us the, the rhythm of regularly making waiting for you part of our prayer life. I pray that you would do that. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.